0: But uh, no. but usually I, I I love to talk about the background and the backstory and because I, I think there's you know, in my performances I don't often explain. I mean, actually yeah. lately I have been explaining. It really depends on the audience.
1: So that would be almost yeah. sort of like like stage banter of sort of setting the scene for people
0: yeah in fact i just did that um saturday night in florida and it's a older piece i i premiered in 2017 and and usually when i create a solo work i tour it for a couple Mm -hmm. years and then uh i just premiered a new solo work last october so that'll have like a whatever two year life and then this other one who knows if it was like, I think April is the last scheduled gig I have of this last solo piece. But um, so, but that one is called Nine Doors, and it's in eight languages. It's, it's got a lot of different uh, cultural references from East Timor, West Timor, Korea, and Indonesia. And, uh, uh, you know, so it, it's very layered and complex. And And I realized that I just started to experiment with talking to the audiences beforehand or in the middle and just like to give them some, a little more information. Whereas I think the premiere, I gave no information and which is, which is also great too for people. But I was just kind of experimenting with, you know, based on, on the feedback from audiences and.
1: It's interesting that the premiere would be the one where you give no context, right? Because that's the one where people are flying the most blind because you've literally never played this thing before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I all, it's, it's also the first time I'm experiencing it too, you know, and feeling the audience's yeah. response. So, um, so yeah, this last one, there was a pre-concert talk by the presenter even, mm-hmm. Steve Miles, who's fantastic. Who but was he was explaining also. who you
1: are versus what the piece means? He, or? No, he
0: actually like got permission from me or just kind of ran <laughs> by or yeah. had me actually write him up a okay. thing that I thought would be good for him to say about the piece that I then didn't have to talk about, like, exactly what musical traditions I'm referencing, mm. you know, because I don't explain that usually. I have kind of come out and for actually one was one time when was that's recently in San Diego, where, you know, very community organized event. Mm. Um, it was... Uh, in the community, it was the, uh, Taiwanese American Community Center. And that's a center that is very near and dear to me because I had As a- Is a- he
1: Taiwanese American?
0: Yeah, well my, yeah, exactly. I'm Taiwanese American, my dad's yeah. from Taiwan, my mom's from East Timor, but, um, Yeah, I had a mentor who was very involved with that center. And he. this is like back in 2006, I want to say. And his name is Edward Chang. He passed away, sadly, in 2015 um, of lung cancer. But he, like way back in the day when I was just starting to go to Taiwan to do a lot of research there um, on traditional music and just on my family roots and my dad's side of the family. And he was really supportive and and connected me to people who – um connected me to the moon loot the, the green guy here
1: the mm, mm, <laughs> Taiwanese mm-hmm, moon loot so mm-hmm.
0: so you, I, I should was,
1: mention that you walked into the space with how many instruments
0: well two for uh, now two
1: very which are very, roughly your height I think yeah. if you turn them on the side if
0: I yeah if I stand them up yeah. they come about to like they're child size yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I call them my babies <laughs> and uh so so he he was he was actually the first person to Kind of pushed me to do a solo performance at their center where before I was like I just moved to New York, um, was had a band yeah. and I was like uh, performing with my band and I, you know, was well, starting to we'll, experiment with that.
1: We'll get to this but, later. But, yeah. you know, when you – there's video of you at like 13 –
0: Oh, yeah. So, so,
1: so you're not somebody who's seemingly was ever afraid to get out there.
0: No, no, yeah. That, that 13, yeah, I was... Just playing
1: the hell out of a piano. I
0: was, uh, yeah, that was those were the good old days. <laughs> were they? That's, that's when I had time to just practice yeah. and do nothing else, yeah. you know. Um, but no, that was the Tchaikovsky Piano yeah. Concerto.
1: It wasn't for fear of sort of putting yourself out there for No, no.
0: I think what it was, was at the time, I I was so comfortable writing music for a band, you know, and, 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 yeah. and, and because I was a new composer at that time, like I had done all this classical stuff, which mm-hmm. was, that mm-hmm. was part of my, the peak of my training, maybe in piano. And then I started do like imp- improvising, getting into the jazz singer role, mm. um, maybe like high school into college. And then right after, so right after Stanford as well. Uh, but at Stanford, I was Majoring in opera and, like, vocal performance. But on the side, I would front for bands. You know, I would always get asked by someone to sing, you know, Lush Life or, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Jazz singing.
0: Jazz, you know, the kind of um, chanteuse. Yeah. Did
1: you ever lie on top of a piano? I
0: did. Oh, my (laughs) God. I did at Stanford. And I won like 50 bucks for it or something. Great. It was a, <laughs> it was an Asian American, uh, talent show. Okay. And I never, it's so funny. I, at that time, I was so kind of, you know, this, I think this happens to a lot of, um, American born, um, Chinese or Taiwanese mm-hmm. or, you know, um, is that they, they have this denial of their own background mm. because they, they there's, they just don't want to be made fun of. I and mean, this yeah. is from like, very small child.
1: You're first generation, is that right?
0: I, you know they say there's two ways you if you look on wiki there's yeah. two ways you can say that you're first generation okay. if you're born in America. But yeah. then they then my <laughs> my parents Generation will correct me and will okay. say, "Actually, you're second generation. We're okay. the first because we
1: moved here." Sure, <laughs> sure. So
0: both are kind of used. But
1: you are the first generation to be born. Exactly, in the, did, exactly. Did you feel that your parents were kind of pushing you to be more Americanized because Definitely. of that? Definitely,
0: yeah. Because they they wanted us to have an ease. My brother and me. They they wanted my brother and me to have no problems
1: mm.
0: with you know getting around society. They
1: wanted you to fit in.
0: Yeah, yeah. you know, no accent. No, yeah.
1: No. Which, Peoria, what's the Peoria, makeup like in Peoria? Is it pretty white?
0: Eh, well, at that time, it was pretty non-diverse. Yeah. I like to say non-diverse.
1: <laughs> it was but, pretty white. But um, <laughs> yeah,
0: we, <laughs> um, but, but even – but I went to school north of Peoria. Hmm. So it was even more um, in, in like um, – like, there were cornfields yeah. just where we lived. Homogenous,
1: um, I think, is the yeah, nice way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know – Let's see, in my class, you kind of grow up in the same class of kids and, uh, you know, there's one Korean girl. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, yeah, that was it. There's one Korean girl. Then once I got to junior high, there were, let's see, four African Americans and in the whole, how many kids even was that? I can't even remember. Uh, but, you know, once you get into junior you know high, you add more – because, like, sure. more grade schools put together. Sure.
1: they feed into the school. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and then there were two sisters from Vietnam who moved later. So in high school, there were two more Vietnamese girls. And then there was a Japanese girl who came in.
1: <laughs> anyway, it was like – I love like, – because I, 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 I went to, like, school in California and these, like, big schools oh. and the fact that you can, like – actually oh, yeah. remember each one it's, oh, it's yeah. incredible to me
0: yeah so so it was that that was the way yeah. it was so it was so much i was just uh so in denial of my own heritage you know i just i didn't i was tired of being made fun of i was tired of being called a chink and
1: that was pretty common so growing up
0: I, yeah yeah oh yeah by all sorts of characters younger than me older than me you know yeah i have very vivid memories of who I thought were my best friends, like yeah. turning against me, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're talking, and
1: we're talking like the eighties, nineties yeah. here, right? Yeah, Which yeah, yeah. Eighties, crazy. Yeah, eighties. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, in high school, I kind of found my my people who were the the, the outlier, you know, the yeah. the alternative.
1: What role did music play as far as actually fitting in?
0: Yeah, that was so. Music for me was um, like the sanctuary yeah. because I didn't really get involved. Well, let's see. I take that back. In high school, I was in the chorus. Uh, no, I guess starting in junior high, I was in the chorus. And we did – I was lucky to have a great choir director who uh, was named Debbie Rude, Mrs. Rude, <laughs> And um, she was awesome because at that time, I was also getting into musical theater and mm-hmm. getting – like just falling in love with all the musical theater guys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like Michael Crawford who played Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Um and and she was just so nurturing. She fed that kind of obsession. And I was, like, memorizing shows. And, and I was in show choir. And so that's when I was – I started to get into musical theater. And um, But before then, the my music life was very outside of school. It was just private lessons with these insanely amazing teachers. And ballet school was a different – a Peoria ballet school. <laughs> that was, like, half an hour away. My parents had to have to bring me – to ballet classes, and I, I, so,
1: I guess part of why I ask is, yeah. you know, I uh, I knew someone in Hebrew school who went with mm-hmm. who was sort of like a, a, a piano prodigy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it seems like when you're studying at that level at that age, that's right. not the kind of thing that really ingratiates you to other students. In fact, oh, it's no. like another wall you're putting yeah. up in a way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I so in in this recent show um, that I premiered called Zero Grasses. I I talk about exactly these highlights in my childhood where <laughs> there was a girl I'm not going to name her, but I know your name anyway. I remember your name, but in junior high, I remember her saying this to me, like she would say, "Well, you may be uh, be able to sing and dance and play piano and blah blah, but you'll always be Chinese." You know, she said that to me. It's like, what is that supposed to – you know, of course, that was just a racist remark. But, yeah.
1: It's like, you know, uh, we're, we're two billion people, right? Yeah. It's like, uh um, <laughs> – You know there's more of us than there are of you, right?
0: So, you know, and, and- – Forget about the nuances of, actually, I'm Taiwanese, East Timorese. Yeah. And, you know, forget about that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, things like just comments yeah. like that or uh, – What do you say to you something know? like that? At that time, I, I didn't know how to respond. Like it's sunk yeah. in many years later maybe. Like I, I think I was so – I just got so used to um, – you know, and that's what my show explores. I got so used to kind of being um, – what's the word? Kind of – Inoffensive and kind of, you know, sweet and and demure, demure and just like perfect and and I I was very conscious of of um you know never causing controversy, never speaking, uh, never rebelling or you know so those at those at that time I think I don't know but but I was aware of you know being called a chink I think is when I I woke up and and uh, and. You know, I thought, well, I'm just, I'm going to show them. You know, kind yeah. of, I'm going to leave Peoria and go to far away. You
1: know, in a sort of a weird way, is that kind of what pushed you into bigger and better things?
0: That's a very funny. You just said that quote because that is uh, in one of my diary entries. Yeah. Um, this new show is like mostly diary entries. You went through your. I went through I, my. God, yeah. So so you know, what's funny is my mom. So my dad passed away last year in mm-hmm. April and and then part of the as many people experience you have to clean out the house and then downsize yeah. and you know take care of the surviving parent. So we were cleaning out dad's closet um, which he shared with it was a big walk-in closet they shared and I'm like looking at his jackets like what are we going to do with mm-hmm. these and then mom like she just hands she's like Jen you know here you go and she hands me three of my diaries which which span the, the my childhood from eight years old until high school, until whatever, 18.
1: How long did it take between you receiving them and actually getting up the guts to open them and read oh, them?
0: Oh, well, yeah, long time. Well, first of all, I, I wanted to open them. but just did not have time. So yep. that was April. She handed them to me. I did not open them until August because of we moved Monumento Retirement Community. Yeah. We put up the, the house for sale. We did the whole estate Auction—it was insane. <laughs> I don't know how I survived, but um, but uh, I'm sure many people can relate to that insane process. But um, so August, I finally—you know—I w- I had this residency in Italy scheduled, the, the uh, Civitella Ranieri. Mm-hmm. You know, ca- it's like a castle; it's mm-hmm. beautiful. And so I had that scheduled, and Mom was in a good place. Um, she she was settling into this new retirement community, independent living. And I was ready to cancel if she needed me. But by that time, she's like, no, 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 Jen, I'm I'm fine. You go. And, you know, you can't cancel too many things, you know. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, because I was supposed to be in Japan leading up to that. I had this five-month fellowship. When dad passed, I, I just had to desert it. So, uh, but in a way, it was lucky because I had an empty, you know, I had no gigs. Yeah. Except one in Japan, which I went back to do in, like, when was that? May. I went back to do that in June. And I mainly got went back to get my stuff because I left all my instruments in Japan. You know, I just had to rush back to take care of mom. So, But I had this, like, empty time up until Italy, which was great. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was very lucky. uh, But when I opened the diaries, it was like, oh, this explains that, you know. All this kind of seeking approval and talking about Mm -hmm. these older men – just who were in my life you know whether it was in a musical yeah. or but much o- like 30 years older you know i would just get these in, uh, huge crushes okay. on which i've talked to my other friends yeah. and they all said oh yeah at age 15 is like is when things go crazy okay. know, we just like not
1: reciprocated but just no, okay yeah no <laughs> that would be a very different
0: but in a weird way yeah. like but th- what was creepy was in my diaries i detailed every interaction and and I say and I I use I use some of that in my show. For instance, one is like, "Oh, I just loved when he would massage my shoulders or touch my hip." And like, it, it's creepy. Yeah, it's really creepy. But but that what I saw in those diaries was this great desire to be accepted. Hmm. You know, because I, I was so I was the nerd. I was the the dog. Yeah, one guy I had a crush on. And when was it? Junior high. He said, oh, Jen's cool and all, but she's a dog, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, for a young girl who's, you know, with braces, it's – you're just seeking – and it just – it was so telling of, wow, how little girls are raised and what we, we are uh, – we, we have to deal with, you know. And aside from being good at things, like I was good at all these things, but it was – I could never – I never could separate until – my you know now i'm mature <laughs> but at that time i could never separate like oh am i do they like me because of my talent yeah. just my talent or is it because all the other stuff because i'm pretty and sweet and you know and so and, and i would, never
1: like do they like me for me that right that's not in the equation at all it sounds yeah, like
0: yeah because i, I think because of all the, the, the kind of the racism and the yeah. being made fun of, I, I just knew, oh, there must be something lacking. So I have to make up for it. You know, I have to either be really pretty or really talented or, you know, because I'm already like down, yeah. you know, in this, in this society, it seems. So yeah, that's pretty. I saw in my diaries like, wow, this is very deep. And I think a lot of situations. You know, I do touch upon, I kind of give a nod to the Me Too mm-hmm. thing, but it's, 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 I feel like I, I, what I talk about in the show are these gray areas, you know, where it's not this very, it's not a blatant like, oh, he harassed me, you know, it's, it's, it's all tangled up. It's uh, tangled up in, in our own ambition and trying to negotiate our role in the society that we've been, like raise and it's just so gradual Mm -hmm. and it is like become it's like it's just so uh you become brainwashed in in not understanding your true value you know so it's 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 yeah it's been a wake-up call um and i think to expose it and talk about it in the theatrical and musical way um Just I've performed it four times maybe and and everyone's like Uh, you know (laughs) especially the women are like oh my god.
1: As we were saying before the work itself isn't always self-explanatory especially if you don't speak all eight languages.
0: Right well so so Nine Doors was this piece I did kind of really inspired by my my research in Indonesia my time in Java Mm -hmm. and in Korea and West Timor that's it was it's like uh it was kind of like a Really personal reflection on on that time, and, and the core of the story was the passing of a Javanese friend who was an amazing wayang kulit uh, shadow puppet, mm. puppeteer. So wayang kulit is the it's the art of Jav- Javanese shadow puppetry. Yeah, and, and he was a young master; he was like thirty years old and kind of a rising star, and already collaborating with you know people around the world and, and he was killed in a car crash. Mm -hmm. So, and with his wife and baby son, it was like all three of them, you know, his daughter survived six years old, amazing young woman. She's 11 now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm very close with my friend's parents who are this girl's grandparents and from the father's side. And so they send me pictures and I'm in touch with her, you know,
1: she's that age that you were when you were first started going through that. Yeah.
0: Yeah yeah so it's fat I mean I haven't seen her in person since the accident I've seen his parents since the accident and and they were showing me videos of you know she's an amazing dancer like it's just in her blood because her mother was a dancer um from Banyuwangi so it's a tradition um, from East Java and- anyway so that that work is very um it is personal but it's it's in a way it, it kind of it's kind of showing, it's almost like a, an homage to all the traditions, not all, but my favorite, at, favorites at those time, at those times. Um, so like, um, East Coast, East Coast shaman music from Korea, I kind of rearrange and reimagine, you know, I compose inspired by that kind of music. Um, and then also, of course, Javanese singing uh, and dance, uh, Timorese music. Um, so it's like it's so it's so researched and so layered. This new work is is very theatrical and it's that needs no explaining. It's like, you know, very, very basic things like, you know, you you. Break up with a long-term partner. Your dad dies and you're dealing with boxes. So most of my set are boxes. <laughs> and then I project these childhood photos onto the boxes and, um, and I rediscover the diaries in one of these boxes. You know, it's very – like my friend says, this could be a Broadway show, yeah. Jen. This could be a long running like Broadway. And perhaps it might be someday. But, but it, um, I mean, it
1: sounds as much like a, a play as a concert. It, it really concert. is. Yeah. It
0: really is. And then it kind of progresses into no more words and no more dialogue or act. It, it's purely song. Mm. And then the climax is the, the last piece where it's the lute and – me and and the lyrics are like you will let go of all things that bind you, like memories that comfort you. Uh, so I have to sing it, <laughs> like memories, like memories that comfort you to let's see, comfort you through being. uh I had to sing the thing anyway. <laughs> yeah, you, you feel free if you. Want. Oh wow, <laughs> cool! I just pull out my loop right now. <laughs> but it's very, it's a very empowering song, yeah, and it's very. Yeah, it's just the climax of the song, and and, and that song comes right after I play a video that kind of shows up in mysterious ways throughout the show. It's Mm. a video of me with my phone. I recorded this video, like, from the car seat, the back seat of a car. Dad's here. Mom's here. And I'm just like – it just was – it's so crazy because that was the last Christmas we shared together. And we were driving to Galveston, Mm. which is like – my dad loved to go to Galveston, mm-hmm. which is an hour away from uh, where he lived in Houston, uh, outskirts of Houston. And uh, and we would just go have seafood, walk yeah. on the beach, and then go home. You know, it was like something we, – we became a kind of Christmas tradition because um, they retired to Houston in, let's see, 11 years before he passed. So at, before that was just cold, cold Peoria. Yeah. And then they – Galveston, yeah. is,
1: isn't that isn't that a Jimmy Webb song? Galveston. Oh, maybe. Yeah, there's a great maybe, old maybe. like Glen Campbell oh, song called Galveston. Interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah. See, I'm so ignorant. Oh, this <laughs> yeah.
1: Like it's like that is like this is as Americana. As Woo! It gets. Yeah. Wow. I mean, on some levels, it sounds like it had to be your most personal work.
0: Oh, it's for sure. Yeah. It's like it. Cr- it's it kind of. It's exhausting to do <laughs> yeah. because it's so personal.
1: Which is – yeah. what's funny, uh, the way you're describing it is, you know, versus the other work which, like, requires translation. and requires yeah. you to explain it. Yeah. It's not only your most personal, but it's the one where it's you're all in just in, putting it's, yourself out there. It's almost
0: all in English. Yeah. Like, there's two lines of Mandarin Chinese. There's Spanish because that was a – Spanish was really important to me growing up because yeah. um, it was, like – you know, when you can choose a language. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was either Spanish or French. So I chose Spanish. Uh, and then I got uh, obsessed with Afro-Cuban music hmm. when I was at Stanford. But it, was, it really came from the language. It came from, oh, I guess yeah. I can speak Spanish. And um, so I went to Cuba a number of times. And then I was I was in a salsa band <laughs> when I was in the Bay Area. And I went, like, maracas. I yeah. did the whole thing with the sequin dress. The sequin dress. And so... I was like, oh, maybe I'll be like a famous, you know, whatever. Uh, You're singing sones and boleros and
1: Tito Puente, or yeah,
0: and and then they all call me La Chinita, you know. So I talk about that in the show, and um, but but other than it's just it's mainly in English, and so why
1: why the most personal work is the one that you kind of in a way cloak the least?
0: I think. Well, I think it's just it was the time, and there were. There are events, you know, like all this uh, most <laughs> – the first scene is me having uh, – me playing myself as well as a fertility doctor because I – it opens with this appointment, my first visit to a fertility doctor's appointment, uh, office. And because um, at the time, uh, I was in this um, long-term, you know, 12-year relationship and we were starting to talk about having kids and – and uh, but we were both artists and – and it just it became clear that uh, what you know what, one of us being me could see that it could work out. Oh sure, we can have a kid, and I can you know maybe stop touring for a while. And, hmm. But he he just couldn't see it working. So we eventually broke up. So uh, the piece kind of begins with that. Um, but what in real life, kind of at that time, I was talking with many women and uh, a lot of artist women around my age um and also young women artists who were seeking advice from me you know Hmm. like how do you how do you get all these grants and be so focused in your career and win these awards and and like maintain a relationship while you're traveling like how do you like how do you do it i'm like and like how, how are you gonna have kids i'm like i really don't know you know this is something i'm I can't answer the kid part cause were you talking I don't about freezing my... your
1: eggs? was that the yeah yeah
0: this is exactly yeah it's the theme in the mm-hmm. show and and so you know it, it's also breaking open that taboo yeah because you know I my mom I don't think she'll ever listen to I probably I <laughs> <think>. <laughs> but I hope I mean she would just cringe yeah She'd be like don't talk about that it's too personal she must
1: know at this point what you do. And how much or, you put yourself out yeah, there. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, she, she's seen Nine Doors. She's yeah. not seen this new piece. Um, she knows a lot of uh, dad is in it, but she doesn't know that uh, <laughs> i talking a lot about fertility. You know, it,
1: it sounds like they were very, very supportive of your early music career. Yeah. Career. Yeah. Your early, you know, of, of you know, learning yeah. to play music. But obviously, again, in a very kind of classical Western tradition, it sounds like yeah. to some degree. How does she feel about this sort of... This direction that your career has taken.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they kind of – they're they're very – I think they've always been supportive, but
1: – Do they get it?
0: Yeah. I think they, they do. Yeah. My dad began to get it. And I knew that they got it because they would be explaining it to their <laughs> friends, their, like, Taiwanese friends. And who um, were like – what do you do? <laughs> and what, what what was
1: their answer? And
0: and they and my mom was saying, yeah, Jen is interested in music that's not n- like commercial. Okay. Like, wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: that's not bad, mom. <laughs> she's
0: like she's more interested in experimental yeah. music, and but she would be saying it in Mandarin, you know. Yep. So that's great, and and you know I think they they finally became comfortable in terms of like knowing I had some security hmm. when I started getting these, you know, artist awards, um, before then it was always like, are you sure? You know, you can always, like my dad was, you can, you could be a CEO of a company and uh, blah, blah. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I am actually, I have my own LLC now. So, but, um, but yeah, they, they were always like, are you sure you don't want to,
1: yeah. So they um, were. They were always supportive, always but, supportive, but maybe also concerned.
0: Oh yeah, and yeah. I maybe I think that's just a, I think that is just ingrained. I don't know. I don't I, know how I'll be as a parent. <laughs> I mean, you know, like
1: like like Asian parents, it's like yeah. there often is a lot more micromanaging than that. From yeah, what I understand yeah. From friends. yeah. I
0: mean, I think I'm I'm luckier because I was I'm the daughter. Mm. I think my brother had a tougher time kind of doing his own thing. Like, is he a CEO? Course, they wanted well. They wanted him to be a doctor, of course. Um, and he didn't go in that direction. He now is a volleyball coach. Okay. and has his own academy, and and volleyball is his passion. Yeah, and he coaches high school girls in St. Louis, and he's great at it. You know, yeah. so
1: you bolted really fun stuff.
0: Yeah, 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 and I think you know he's. I think both of us. Yeah, I think both of us were, um, kind of. Broke away from the, <laughs> yeah. but but I think I think my parents were more maybe more accepting of my path because I was the mm-hmm. daughter who you know there's always like, are you oh, older or
1: younger I'm younger that probably helps too. that
0: too but you know I think the first son first born in America you know yeah. there's always more pressure on her. yeah so but they I mean they've long been. Really accepting, but I think it took some awards to, <laughs> to get them there.
1: <laughs> when did music turn from something of, you know, of a way of fitting in or a way of seeking people's approval to a form of? I used the word rebellion before. Mm. What did it turn into rebellion for you? At some yeah. point, yeah,
0: I think I think when I started. Well, I think the underlying thing. Once I got over the. The, um, that insecurity of my own sexuality and, and all of that. I think.
1: Sexuality from the standpoint of just being sexual? Or right? just
0: being seen, just being seen as a, an exotic object. Like, oh, she's Chinese, but she sings jazz and she has okay. a good voice, you yeah. know? <laughs> and even in my own diaries, one of my lines is, um, and, and also, you know, it's so rare for an Oriental to have a good voice. I actually wrote that as a Edward young – Edward Said. Horrible, <laughs> right? Oh, my God. But, yeah, I even use those terms. That's how yeah. deeply ingrained I was Jeez. in that, like, thinking. And so, you know, the scary thing about the show is that I'm, I'm I'm like, exposing that yeah.
1: part of me. Have you talked to anyone or, like, since you performed this mm-hmm. who has sort of had a, that similar experience?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've – uh, I have a friend who's, she's an amazing Carnatic violinist mm. and composer. And she's, yeah, I consider her one of my mentees and, um, become, has become a friend. And she said when she was watching my show with the premiere, she's like, is she talking about me? Is this a show about me? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, which is, is, and there was another woman, um, of course, she was, she's of Indian descent. She's South South Asian mm-hmm. descent, born in America also. Mm-hmm. There's a, a young woman, who's a Caucasian woman is in, um, where was it? In L.A., Irvine. Mm-hmm. And she came up to me after the show and she said, um, I just want to thank you for reminding me of my value. You know, um, because there's this scene where I get involved with, you know, a much older man who is like, top of his field, famous, and it – it, you know, I, I have this, these diary entries where I'm talking about our strange relationship, mm. romantic relationship, and, and my concerns about that because he's in the – he was in the field that I wanted to do stuff in, you know? So it's, again, that gray area where I was attracted to him, but there was all these other layers. And maybe, he was maybe you couldn't
1: divorce yeah. your ambitions from right. – Romance. right
0: right and 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 which i think is very and now talking with many women who have either seen the show or my friends you like know. very hard because you're just so it's all it's just so tangled up you know your own ambition your own dreams um and then someone here someone comes along who's um more experienced and like, sees you. Like, you're seen. Wow. And someone thinks I have talent. Wow. You know? Hmm. Um, and, yeah. I mean, it's like the stars, what, was Stars Born? What, Lady Gaga? Yeah. Movie? So... <laughs> yeah.
1: You didn't think you were seen as just a, a an Asian woman singing jazz? As you said, this sort of exotic idea. People were yeah. obviously seeing something because yeah. it's not something that they had context for.
0: Perhaps. But then... But then something, something in me knew, like, oh, I'm supposed to do more in this. So mm-hmm. I think it was, I think, um, maybe after I'd been living in New York for a while, I was, I had like apprenticed in Steve's, Steve Coleman's band for some years. And then I, I kind of found, Oh, let me just focus on the music. Let me yeah. just focus on what I'm creating and let that let everything I create be something that is not fitting into a stereotype or not what people expect. Focus and, on
1: the music versus what were you focusing um, on before?
0: I think it was much more like um either persona or mm-hmm.
1: uh again just how people perceive you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I
0: was so focused on that and kind of getting kind of caught up in in that and and I was like well let me actually let me just focus on my research and yeah. and creating work that that is not out there work that I would want to hear mm. work that would inspire me and yeah so I just I just dove into these the well, first Traditions of, from my heritage mm-hmm. in East Timor and in Taiwan and then, and getting obsessed with languages and learning as many languages as I could and, um, and, and then focusing, I just was fascinated with women's songs. So especially elder women's mm-hmm. songs, like these old, old songs that these old, old women sang. And, um, and so the more, and then I had now, and then I suddenly had all these amazing women teachers, you know, so I was just shift. I think that was a big difference. Maybe I'm just realizing that now on this interview is that <laughs> my teachers all became women. Yeah. Most of my teachers. Um And, and I just focused on kind of their power yeah. and what they had to offer and, um and kind of their guidance. So it was, it was a great kind of refocusing, you know, and, and then I, I wanted to, kind of bring their work to light and and sh- like talk about them and talk about how great they are and mm-hmm. um so that was yeah a big shift and and i think in terms of um i i knew that politically that was oh yeah this is really important these are voices that are not heard yeah <laughs> and these are perspectives that are not heard and so that you know i i, I would i don't know if you can just call it political, but um, but I think I realize oh, I have agency and people are listening now, so let me give them something really substantive to listen to, you know, and their stories and, you know, let me talk about this little girl who's six years old <laughs> and and reference these woman warriors from the Holly kingdom of Timor and, like, the first shaman of Korea and, like, talk about her story and I think kind of leaving... I don't know, classical music is so... That foundation, that training was so important to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and then, like, entering to kind of diving improv improvised music, creative music, that was so important as well. And I think it just... I don't leave... It's like, I'm just collecting. I'm just, like, gathering as much incredible information as possible and absorbing it. And And as I kind of go through... Um, different communities around the world that are so open armed and kind of allowing me to to just sit and and learn, you know, uh, the sindenon, which is that the singing that goes along with Javanese gamelan. Like I can, I spent two years in Indonesia, nearly to, like twenty two months, like just kind of sitting next to my teacher um named Buchandani and just like singing along with her and imitating her voice and and her you know her stories and, and just like that patience um and then just their generosity and kind of knowing that I was this weird composer <laughs> you know it was it's it was amazing that they they were so and are and continue to be so generous and so loving
1: It's interesting that you say two years, like, oh, all this time I spent doing it. But Mm -hmm. you're describing all these things that, you know, you could easily spend a lifetime
0: more
1: focused on.
0: Absolutely. Do
1: you ever sort of feel like a musical tourist?
0: No, because I think two years, like, when was I? That was 2011 to 2013. And then I added a year, 2014. That Mm. was like, I just released an album on um, Pi Recordings as the first, like, label that supported my music, that was like a time when I should have been touring and yeah. like hustling and doing the thing, you know, the mm-hmm. career thing. And I, I was like, nope, I'm going to do this Fulbright. I'm going to disappear for a while <laughs> off the scene. And I had a one-way ticket. I had no return ticket. Yeah. So, uh, And I turned down many commissions and gigs and festivals and because I realized, oh, you know, those gigs will always be there. Mm. Let me go deeper into – you know, these traditions and let me forget about career for a while. You well, know?
1: What was it about so, again? You know, we've only got so many years on and on yeah, earth, and, and I you know have so many of these different interests. Why, right. Why was that the one that you wanted to spend two or three years on
0: that? Let's see. I mean, there's a number of reasons. A lot of, I just, I, a lot of it, I just went with the flow of things, but <laughs> um, I think, at first, I was going to go to go back to Timor. So I didn't. I did three months of research on um, traditional vocal music in East Timor.
1: So part of it was probably your mom.
0: Yeah. Well, that was that was my mom's. Yeah. Like, kind of. I was inspired by you know I, I need to find out where mom came from and because it was much further away. We uh, as a we couldn't go as young children because of the it was still. It was before they gained independence, mm. you know, in 2002. So poli- it just wasn't safe. Yeah. So I didn't go there till 2010 because um, there were still uh, – when was Ramos Horta attempted assassination? It was like 2008, I want to say. I, don't, I can't remember. But – or 2006? I can't remember. But, um, but you know, things were still sticky. Uh, but by 2010, my mom's like, okay, yeah, it, it, it seems like it's safe and your uncle's there now. So mm. – so, so I was after those three months, I was I was thinking, oh, let me do much longer because it was so incredible—the singing there, um, it just incredible. <laughs> um, and and so, oh, let me go live there for two years. But they didn't offer a Fulbright there. They didn't offer. Uh, I, I think it's mainly because they didn't have a university, mm. mm-hmm. or Fulbright didn't approve of a university. Uh, or, or maybe Dealey University wasn't at the level at that time. Now they do offer Fulbrights through Clinton. It's like the Clinton Fulbright Scholarship. So I have met Fulbrighters now, like on my return trips yeah. who, who are on Fulbrights in East Timor. I'm very jealous. Um, but so then I thought, well, let me go to somewhere closer, <laughs> which is Indonesia, mm-hmm. which is close to East Timor. Um, and also I had visited for eight days during my Timor trip. I had just taken a little trip um, to Java and because I was fascinated with Java, you know, Java as well. Uh, I just knew a little bit about Gamelon at that time. Um, and so lo- long story short, I made a connection with a teacher there. Through a friend, um, and she was the one who planted the seed. When I started learning some singing from her in those eight days, she said, "You should come back for one or two years, you know." <laughs> and uh, you look
1: at your watch. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah, and
0: literally, and I'm like, "Oh!" So that yeah. was the seed planted, and then so that's why I It's like, "Wow!" Well, if I can't apply to Timor, let me apply for Java, yeah. and and lo and behold, I got it. So um, as a musician. And not not as a graduate student or anything. I was not pursuing a degree, postgraduate degree. Um, what I found out later was that it's pretty rare for non, like, yeah. you know, academics to get it. Um, this type of scholarship. So, because uh, it was a Fulbright student um, Fulbright, so basically you can just go and do your research. You mm-hmm. don't have to teach. You don't have to do anything else. You just do your research. So, um, yeah, I was very lucky, and I think wow i mean once i got there it was it wasn't just the singing it was the dance you know that i i started internalizing and it was oh so many art forms and so many different vocals i I could have easily done my fulbright in bandung because they have sundanese singing which is just incredible um or in bali you know Mm -hmm. where i spent a lot of time there's incredible singing in bali um and, and who wouldn't want
1: to be in Bali, right? Exactly,
0: <laughs> and so you know, but but it was it was just so deep, and I think it was it, that was a really life changing experience because from Indonesia, I, I I met some people, and again through I, destiny is very mysterious. Um, I found out about a scholarship in Korea, hmm. and so straight from Indonesia, I went to <laughs> Korea for six months, and then went back to Indonesia. Um, and in Korea, I, I got to start studying Pansori, which was another dream that I had like a little seed planted back in 2010 when I first heard about Pansori. And yeah, so it's just so many. I will write a book someday, but, <laughs> but just so many. So it's not like it was, it wasn't a conscious decision, like I'm going to choose Indonesia. It was, it, it kind of just, it chose me. I yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and just, just very fortunate and, the, and and the artists that I met in I feel like the artists that I met in Indonesia like there's this great filmmaker named Garin Nugroho who directed my first solo work mm. right after I came back from Indonesia and he was like he and he still is he's just this inspirational force of Nature um, inspires many and mentors many artists in Indonesia and um, around the world. And and when I saw his film Opera Jawa, um, which was a perfect marriage, you can Google it and find it online. Um, perfect marriage of like really contemporary avant-garde with traditional, just deeply, you know, gorgeous. You know, not just Javanese but but different cultures from Indonesia. And, like, he can – he just – he has the same fascination I do with, mm. like, marrying those things, yeah. you know, and, and seeing, oh, they, there's no conflict at all. I mean, this, because if you listen – Are you
1: finding the common themes between them? Yeah. I
0: yeah. mean, it's – because to me, like, if I listen to the the very pure, old, like, traditional – Singing or the dance, it, it, it's, to me, it's like, I can see it and I'm like, wow, that is so futuristic, you know? Like, I see how, inc- I mean, I don't know what it, it, what it is, but there's no, I guess with, with what I love about, um, when, when you get to see traditions in, 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 in like their setting, mm-hmm. like whether it's a fishing village in Korea or, or if it's like in this tiny village where they're doing a gamelan for someone's, Circumcision—they call sunatan, <laughs> you know—and they still have these ceremonies. And when you just see it in the, the the real setting, and you see how the community is, it's mainly about the community, how they are taking in the performance. It's it's you see, oh, it is so functional. This is such a part of their lives. It's not a performance. It's not a concert. It's like, oh, let's go down yeah. to um, ibu. Ibu, um, I can't think of a name right now. Nila, let's go to her uh, home because there's a you know so and so's or her cousin or her nephew's getting a you know a sunatan, and and then it's just there, and you just and then you you bring your tikar and you fall asleep yeah. there, and because it's like from eight pm to four am, and you know you eat and you talk to your neighbors, and it's just different experience, and and so that. You know, it's just seeing, wow, that exists. Why doesn't that exist here?
1: (laughs) On that note, one one last but big question. Yeah. yeah. When you see that and you fall in love with it and and Mm -hmm. you want to kind of take it as your own, Mm -hmm. how do you ensure that you're doing it justice, both in terms of completely removing it from context. Right. And then, you know, especially in the case of something where you haven't been able to study it for two or three years Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and are adapting it for your own work, how do you know that you're doing the the justice it deserves?
0: Well, I always, and I'm very adamant about this because one of my pet peeves is (laughs) people like taking things and calling it their own. Um, I always give credit to my teachers. I Mm. always, always either in the concert or in the program or online, you know, I'm always crediting um, the source and because I want people to check out the source, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I also always get permission from these sources. Like, you know, I, am I allowed to set your poem to music? Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to translate your poem? I allow, am I, and always, so you're
1: actually in some cases really adopting the actual. Sure. Work.
0: Sure. Whether it be either the melody or the lyrics or, um, an arrangement. So definitely Nine Doors. You know, I did a, an arrangement of Joko, my friend who was killed in the car crash, of mm. his arrangement of a traditional melody. And I asked his parents permission. And they said, of course, because it was after he passed. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's much more like I'm very, very adamant about that. Like it's just, it's just the, you have to do that.
1: Do you feel like <laughs> you're sampling?
0: No, because I, uh,
1: very explicitly in kind of the hip hop sense.
0: I mean, yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you meant. I think it's, I think there's a transformation because, because I, it's it's more about, you know, if I'm singing a song I learned, it's much more. I'm like, it's much more about the relationship. It's that mm-hmm. like, oh, my teacher, she passed this down to me. And she's very much. I'm still. She's still my teacher. Never stops becoming my teacher. You know. She's never. She's always my teacher. You know. So I've just. I'm so lucky. I have so many teachers. Yeah. Um, and they, they come to my concerts or we collaborate. You know. Um, if if the opportunity. If I can get funds. You know. The, the, I've been able to, um, even just get gigs for my
1: teachers. It's folk music in the pure sense, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it depends on which music. Um, but
1: just from yeah. the standpoint of uh, folk, from the kind of the, the tradition standpoint of you right. know, learning from people yeah, and yeah. passing it along.
0: Absolutely. It's, you know, like my Kaigum teacher, who I'm very, very close with. Her name's Hak Young Mi, and she's just amazing. Like, her daughter's younger than me, but and she's not old enough to be my mother, but she's like a mom, <laughs> you know. But we're she's just so dear and and so she's come to many of my gigs, and she'll always say, like, you know, I just teach you one thing and you do a million things with mm-hmm. it, you know, you know, one thing I do in nine doors is I just I take the Kagum and put it on my shoulder and and i i I wrote a song on it, a very simple song um that is basically expressing. You know, the moment I put it up there, everyone sees the image. Oh, it's me carrying a coffin. It's me carrying a casket because mm-hmm. it's a it's it's a memorial, mm-hmm. you know, um, for my friend who, and and I don't have to say anything. And you know, my friend who is a beautiful kaiyak player, Kyung, um, Park Kyung So. She's a, my dear friend, and um, you know, she said, Jen, that that no one's done that before. Like, it's revolutionary, <laughs> and because uh, I had her do it in one of my pieces. In a different context, mm-hmm. you know. So I had her lift the caigum in a piece that I wrote, and um, the act
1: of lifting it is revolutionary.
0: Just to have it on your to play it on your shoulder. Okay. Yeah. No. Usually, it's always on your lap or mm. it's on a stand, and you just play the yeah yeah you know, the music, whether it's a new composition or old composition. But no one has like kind of used it as a theatrical element. Um, according to her, yeah. you know, I'm just like going on her word. I
1: wonder how much of of your work is sort of informed by learning these things through a non-traditional method, you know, like yeah, the idea of, not that it's outsider work, but, mm-hmm. but, it, you know, of you sort of coming from these other traditions mm-hmm. and using that music, maybe you're going to use it in ways that they wouldn't. Right.
0: Right. Well, I think like, yes, I mean, through, it's different, again, it's different for each country. Sure. Like through, in Korea, I applied specifically through a, they call it Cultural Partnership Initiative. And it just happened to be uh, the National Gugak Center, which um, has a very strong program among Koreans of teaching Koreans mm. traditional music. Um, they have this little kind of branch of, of international, um, you know, outreach. Um, and they're always asking me to, like, please send us, like, please spread the word because mm. we need more applicants. Um, so I've gotten many people to get into their program who want to learn about Korean music. But but they – so it just was lucky that the timing was such that they were uh, accepting applications for um, professionals. You know, people wanted to learn Korean traditional music and, and go back to their country. It's, it's mainly to spread Korean culture. That's – the yeah. whole it was funded by the gov- Korean government so there was that but when it comes down to so i was able to find my teacher through joko my friend just ironically um he had done the one beat program which is a great american um how can i say it's a nonprofit called one beat and um they're funded by the um the uh, secretary of state i believe it's funding from the government um because it is a cultural diplomacy program Mm -hmm. so they fund so the government gives them a list of countries that um they want to build better relationships with so so one beat will accept applications from this you know specific list of countries each year so at that time um, i helped joko get one because he uh He was outstanding and they asked me to like kind of talent scout in Mm -hmm. Indonesia because it's friends of mine who kind of run it, run one beat. And and, uh, at that time, it was their first year and Joko got it. He got a a fellowship there and also two Korean musicians got it. So the Pansori singer as well as this Kaigum player Mm -hmm. I mentioned, Pak So. So uh, the Pansori singer and Joko became friends. He like – I was in Indonesia. He came back to Indonesia, like because I was still doing my Fulbright. He's like, Jen, here's all the music. Like you have to listen to this singer, and the... and I heard her, and she's like, I was like, wow, she's amazing, you know who, and her name was Kwon Songi, young pansori singer, younger than me, um, and so. Then months later, when I got this scholarship to go to Korea, I thought, I thought, um, you know, they asked me, who do you want to take Pansori lessons from? And I said, well, I know this young, great singer. Um, I love her voice and she's a friend of my friend in Indonesia. So, so yeah. And I was connected to her. Um, And so when it came down – so it was like, you know, that's a unique little Mm -hmm. path. But when it came down to learning, it's very traditional. The way that we learn, the way she taught me, it was just like her with her drum. And I sat in front of my drum, which I kind of use as a table. I learned drum separately from a drummer later. But she taught me the singing and literally just facing each other like this. And she would just sing me a phrase and I would imitate her. Mm. And that was it. That's like how she learned from her teacher. Um, And the text, like – she had um, apparently her teachers. One of her students had written a book, and it was uh, non Western notation. It was really just the text with some curvy, curly Q lines mm-hmm. to show like the shape of the, but nothing systematic. Yeah. It was literally like a acrylic. An cute.
1: approximation of yeah. what music looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean, it
0: was just like the student's own system That's or funny. this teacher, you know, because the, te- the teacher was like not into any written thing, yeah. you know, but the students learn the val, like realize the value of having mm-hmm. the beats at least like syllab- one syllable per beat and like, let's draw it out. So that was the only score that I had. But ultimately it was like getting the text translated, learning by ear the melody and, you know, and all these little... Um, you know you know like i just have to imitate that yeah. <laughs> and then you know find out how to you know like all of it's like you just you really just have to learn it there's no shortcut, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then memorizing it, you know, you got to learn the meaning and, the, and then you got to learn Korean. There's no shortcut <laughs> for learning Korean. So, yeah, I think, you know, the language is really what I think is the hardest because yeah. you really have to live yeah. in a certain place to learn that. Um, you know, I speak, I, I can get around 10 languages now. Um, it takes time to keep them all, <laughs> keep them up. So, so that, I think, is another, like, you know, kind of – that shows your dedication. Like, can you speak the language? Yeah. Okay. The fact that then. you're here. Yeah. 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 You mean here as in in this room? No,
1: the fact oh. that you're in Korea, speaking right. Korean, sitting in front of her yeah, with a drum. Yeah,
0: exactly. I think, yeah, that that's a if, – if you're willing to, like, sit through private lessons six hours a day, eight hours a day, you're dedicated. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So yeah. No. I, I, of course, I I usually bring up cultural appropriation mm-hmm. in my talks. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know people will start asking. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is you know the ways to avoid it is, yeah. you know, you have to, first of all you have to kind of earn the trust of your teachers mm-hmm. because they're they're entrusting this very special information. They don't they don't give to everyone, especially not foreigners. You know, so. You know, how will you repay them? It's not – you don't just pay them money. You have to pay them with respect. You have to credit them. You have to talk – you know, it's like kind of basic stuff that I would think mm-hmm. any respectful person would do yeah. <laughs> for their teacher. You would think. So, yeah, you would think. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I, what I advise people who are – especially students who are asking like, mm. well, how do you get around? And like, well, you know if you have these relationships with the people, you're not gonna betray someone, you know, these are real people and people who are dear to you. So, um, you know, I think it's as long as they you're close to you and they're they're your friend, your' you know, you're not gonna betray a real friend. <laughs> so anyway, yeah.